Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Around the Slice. Now, on this week's episode, now that the dust has settled on at least the first big wave of free agency that everyone always talks about, we are going to do a sort of check-in and assessment, if you will, of the Buffalo Bills and grade their offseason so far. So here's what we're going to do. The Buffalo Bills, besides re-signings, I'll mention this at the end, but besides re-signings, the Buffalo Bills brought in so far seven new players. With each player, we're going to talk about positives, what I like that they bring to the offense and or defense, negatives or concerns, what I might be a little hesitant with that player, and we're going to go through all those for seven players, and then moving on after that, obviously we're going to give an overall grade. I'm not going to give each individual signing a grade. I'm going to grade the Aussies as a whole from those seven players combined, and then after that, we are going to... um, we are going to talk about, because there's five positions that I still would like the Bills to address, and I rank them in order of importance and need, and there's still some quality players out there. Maybe some positions more than others, but there's still some quality guys out there. And then to end it off, as always, I'll update you guys on the Bills rumors. So without further ado, let's talk about the players the Bills brought in in the 2023 offseason so far. So up first, we have um, snatching, snatching, the Bills taking from the Dallas Cowboys guard Connor McGovern. And I have, mo- I have contract details for all players, but one year, so I'll break it down to how much per year. So guard Connor McGovern from the Cowboys, three years, $22.35 million. That rounds out to about $7.45, $7.45 million per year. Positives. I have different number amounts of positives. Some I have three, four, five, six. Most I have seven. For um, let's just get into the positives for Connor McGovern on this Bills roster. Uh, Connor McGovern to me is very versatile. Ever since college, he played center in college. Then he got into the NFL. We'll get into the under the negatives how he started his NFL career, unfortunately. But he played center in college at Penn State. Some guard, and then he was mainly a guard in the NFL. But last year is interesting. He lined up for the Cowboys at tailback, fullback to protect for Zeke and Tony Pollard, jumbo tight end. I mean, this guy is the definition of versatility. I put down guard, center, fullback, tight end. Obviously, not fullback for us because we have Reggie Gilliam. But the alignments, this one, the alignments excuse me, with this guy, with McGovern, are going to be really fun and intriguing and interesting to watch. Uh, next, McGovern already has chemistry with Ryan Bates because they both played together at Penn State. I believe they both played from 2017 to 2019 together. They came up through Penn State together. Uh, when Ryan, when, let me see if I get this right. When Connor McGovern, their junior, was the left tackle, Ryan Bates was the left guard, so they were, like, right next to each other in sync on the line. Point is, they played together at Penn State, so you'll think those are the bookend guards, if you will, maybe right guard Ryan Bates, left guard Connor McGovern, or you know what I mean, or um, left, right, flip-flop, but some combination of that. So they already got chemistry in that aspect of things. Uh, McGovern's also great in pass protection. And he had to be great for Dak Prescott. He had to give time for Dak Prescott last year in his career to throw to CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, even though it was mainly CeeDee Lamb, but Dalton Schultz as well. 
Now we'll get into another area of blocking and the negatives that I'm kind of concerned about for really concerned about with him from um not watching some of his tape, hearing some things, listening to some other Bill's podcasts, that sorts. So next, um last last main positive again, let me know. Um feel free to let me know on Twitter at Run Slice if you could come up with any other positives or negatives. Well, we'll talk about in a minute for Connor McGovern, the guard from Dallas, um, and the Cowboys. But this is the last main positive I could think of for McGovern being mainly he infuses a quality, and I mean very quality lineman with starting experience into an offensive line that desperately needed it. Um, because Dean Dawkins at left tackle and Mitch Morris last year. Center, um, those are the only consistent guys. Ryan Bates is okay NFL starter, so that's whatever. But then um, Roger Saffold was just downright awful on the ground every two seconds. And then Spencer Brown just hasn't developed like a light as I've, much as I hoped. So this year will be a pivotal year for Brown. Um, yeah, but those are the main positives. Again, feel free to at me on Twitter with any others you have. But now on to negatives, or if you don't want to sound so harsh, maybe the concerns and hesitations, if you will, with Connor McGovern. Uh, he has a long history of injuries. Mainly, I got here, He I researched a bit. He missed his entire, not a few games, he missed his entire rookie season in 2019. To, I believe it was like a... Torn Achilles, some sort of a major injury. I mean, it had to be major, right, if he missed the whole year. So that's unfortunate. He's missed a few spot games here and there. Long history of injuries. Now, we talked about he's a great, well above average pass blocker and pass pro, but he's a below average run blocker, and we really need that run blocking to improve, uh, to get James Cook going, Naheem Hines, the other running back we signed, which we'll get to in a few players down in a minute here later on. But we need this running back to improve, and I wish Conor McGovern was better at that. That's just not his game, unfortunately. But hopefully Aaron Cromer, he's still only 25 years old, McGovern, so hopefully our O-line coach Aaron Cromer going into his second year on, our, on McDermott's staff can get McGovern going with some juice with the run blocking. Uh, McGovern is versatile, but he hasn't really settled into one spot for an extended period of time. He started college as t- at a tackle, then moved to center, and then came to the NFL as a guard. And then I like the intrigue ability. Is that a word? Well, I made it up. <laughs> I like the intrigue ability of um, him sliding over to fullback, tailback, jumbo tight end, getting some unique packages going with him, if you will. But versatility can sometimes be a detriment. I mean, I don't want any excuses here for Cody Ford because I wasn't a fan at all of him. He just was not good. He was on the ground every two seconds too. But Cody Ford was drafted as a tackle, and they tried to play the guard, the guy at guard, or was the other way around. I can't remember exactly. He was just really bad. Point is, he was either drafted as one position, and the Bills tried to switch his position, and they could never get him right. Again, no excuses. But sometimes versatility is not good because it – how it a player doesn't get to um what am I trying you know what I'm trying to say a player doesn't get to settle into one specific spot on the offensive line if you will if they're always moving around with the mismatch alignments you want to get that cohesiveness going with the other four guys your line mates if you will especially the tackle next to you which will be assumably either Deion Dawkins or Spencer Brown left or right side respectively yeah those are the concerns I had with Sp- um Sp- um. Those are the concerns I had with the positives and concerns, excuse me, I had with Connor McGovern bringing in McGovern. 
Um, before I get to his ideal role, I forgot to mention this. I will in ideal world. This is assuming no one gets injured, by the way, because like this is March. So, but just for this exercise, this episode, this week, assume everyone's healthy, so we don't have to get into all that scenarios and what ifs. Hey, before I get into his ideal role, um, some people were really bashing this. The Bills should have done so much better in the beginning. I thought they should have done better too, but they also signed another guard and then re-signed another guard or slash tackle. So like their offense line is set. So I feel like this is good job. I, I he's versatile. Connor McGovern. They just gotta slide him in the left or right guard. I feel like probably the right guard because Ryan Bates says. He's most comfortable at left guard, and Roger Saffold shoved him out of that position last year, and we know how that went. So Ryan Bates can go back to left guard. He's publicly stated on numerous occasions, multiple times, he's most comfortable at left guard, and then we have um, Connor McGovern shifting right in nicely to uh, right guard. So, yeah, but uh, Connor McGovern's ideal role here in a perfect world, again, no injuries because it's only March. Ideal role, starter, he'll have competition, with Ryan Bates and another guy we get to in a minute here, late, the last one actually on this list because we don't have contract numbers yet. But basically, I want Cutter McGovern to be a starter ideally. Um, Next, we have safety. You guys know this guy, right? Safety Jordan Poyer. The best replacement for Jordan Poyer is Jordan Poyer himself. This is shocking that he's back. He was signed to You guys, your jaw is going to drop once you hear how team-friendly this deal is. For Jordan Poyer, two years, 12.5. Now, you got to listen to this. 6.25 million per year. And it's an easy out after year one. But let me, which I don't see that happening, by the way. But let me repeat that. 6.25 per year. I thought he was going to get 12, 13 million. And the market just wasn't there for the guy. I guess age really does play a factor. As much as he talked about the taxes, wanting to go to Miami, wanting to see the sun every day. Age does play a big factor, as it's shown here. Um, so the positive for Poyer, I don't have much to say positive or negative. We know who Jordan Poyer is. All pro Poe, if you will. Uh, yeah. All pro Poe. He's back. So, um, Poyer, a positive. Huge positive. Poyer and Hyde together for at least one more season. I say at least one more season because Marika Hyde's entering the contract year as well. He will be 33 when he hits free agency next year. I would extend high right now, though. Like, get this band. Well, the band is back together. But, like, get this duo um, going for the length of Jordan Poyer's deals to 2023 and 2024. Seeing Hyde and Poyer play together is right up there as a Bill saying. Um, for context, I'm only 19, so I don't have memories of those 90s and whatever. I just have memories of being born into the Bills when they absolutely sucked. So um, once we got Josh Allen, I was so excited. Josh Allen's probably my favorite thing, watching him getting drafted in his development and his year three boom as a Bills fan, one of the biggest leaps in history. But watching Poyer and Hyde, that duo is like right up there. They're insane. And I feel like they're the best safety duo in the NFL. I don't think it's really even close. Like, other teams have good safeties, like the Falk, elite safeties. Like, Falcons have Jesse Bates, but they don't really have anyone else. Panthers now have Von Bell and then Jeremy Chin, but Jeremy Chin is still young and inconsistent, and Von Bell is just becoming a household name in Von Bell. You know what I mean. So, Poyer and Hyde, I would extend Hyde right now. Let them, let them walk together. Let them walk together, if you will. And then my, um, I only have two positive for Jordan Poyer, again, mainly, in my opinion. 
outstanding value for bills. I mean, 6.25 a year, that's probably about 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That's probably about 5 to 7 million less than I thought he would get. Because I thought he would get 12 or 13 million on the market. And it just wasn't there for him. Age really does play a factor, like I said. So this is absolutely phenomenal. Again, no better replacement for Jordan Poyer than the man himself, Jordan Poyer himself. So uh, concerns, I, negatives, if you will. His age, it will always be a concern for me. Aging, he will be 32 at the start of next season. And then once his contract runs out, conceivably we can get out of that after this year. But once his contract runs out, he'll be 33, 34. Going on 34, so yeah. But his ideal role, I mean, duh, a starter. I mean, like I said, up there with Josh Allen watching these two next to each other. It's going to be weird once these two leave. I mean, this changed the franchise. McDermott being coming in 2017, boom, splash. We never knew who Hyde and Poyer were. They were just middling average, um, slow start to their careers, respective careers. Was it, What was it? Poyer with the Browns and Hyde with the Packers. They played cornerback, and they moved to safety, and they've been excellent. Best safety duo in the league. So, obviously, star safety, star starter, whatever, starter, whatever you want to say. Uh, wide receiver Deontay Hardy, two years, $9.5 million we brought him in for. Four point seven five million per year. At first, it came out this. He's still getting five million guaranteed. So I don't necessarily like that for two over two years, five million total in guarantees. But four point seven five per year. I thought it was two years, thirteen million, which would have been six point five per year, which I wouldn't have liked. But this is a bit better. This is five million is still kind of much. He can make up to thirteen million with incentives and receptions and touchdowns and whatever else is baked into that contract. You know how that goes. So positives, Deontay Harder. I got. Deontay Hardy, excuse me. I got quite a bit here. Um, Hardy can play both wide receiver spots, which is really surprising because we'll get to his size into the negatives. But he can play both wide receiver spots, slot and outside. Uh, he, he'll. I feel like he's best suited in the slot, which we'll get to when we get to his ideal role. But yeah, he can play both in a pinch. Uh, he's pretty good at both, too. Tons of speed. His, like, track speed, if you will, he ran, like, a uh, mid-440 mid at mid-4440. Oh, that's a mouthful to say. He ran a mid-4440 in the combine at two, into, actually, not the combine, his Assumption Pro Day or whatever it was, a workout, um, mid-4440. That's not, like, game-breaking speed. But his game speed, his play speed and recognition is off the charts. He is ultra, uber fast. Uh, next, he's very explosive because of that speed. He catches the ball in his hands. And I didn't put this down, but I probably should have. He has great run-after catchability uh, or yards after catch, whatever terminology you want to use. Same concept. Rack, yak, whatever. Yards. Um, yeah. Anyway, um... Part of it might be because Josh Allen doesn't really lead his receivers well. He kind of throws it high or puts it right on their chest. Doesn't really lead them out. But Diggs doesn't really have as good of a route technician, excellent route technician that he is. Diggs doesn't really have, Stefan Diggs doesn't really have that run after catchability. We know Gabe Davis has like no run after catchability because he's very, um, he's very physical, but he has a very limited skill set. Cole Beasley brought back this year, and for all those years, we know he had none at all. He's catching that ball and going down. He's got sure hands, but he's going down. Khalil Shakir is the only really one that had good, I would say, good run after catchability, but he just didn't get the opportunities, and I'm looking. So Shakir and then Deontay Hardy has great run after catchability, and so does this receiver, 
Um, so this receiver um, that we're going to talk about after that we got from the Dolphins in a minute here too, um, we need to improve our run after catch ability, and that's really something that I feel like the Bills are putting an emphasis on, and I as a fan am really looking for that to improve because in 2022 this past year, we were 32nd in run after catch yards yardage, excuse me, and then 2021, what were we? 32nd, so <laughs> not good. But obviously the Bills are making a conscious effort. Brandon Bean's bringing in guys that McDermott can coach up to get that yards after catchability out of them. And maybe Josh can lead those receivers now because they're more dynamic and more explosive, if you will. I hope I explained that well enough for you guys to understand. Um, on top of being explosive, he's surprisingly very good at contested catches for his size. And we'll talk about the downside of the size in a minute. But for his size, in his career, he's not been given many contested catch opportunities because, again... Big knock will be a size, which we'll get to in a minute. But he's been given four contested catchabilities. You know, like uh, Drew Brees mainly because he was on the Saints for few uh, four years. So Drew Brees would throw up the ball, and then he would go up and get it four times. He was done and put in contested catch situations, excuse me, and he caught three or four of them. So that's a seventy five percent hit rate, if you will. That's a seventy five percent catch rate on. Contested catch business for his size, that's amazing. I mean, I know he's not going to be in contested catch um, situations, like probably not, like very, very, very seldom with the Bills, Buffalo Bills, because we have Gabe Davis for that. Say what you will about Gabe Davis, but he's still a very tall and physical sideline receiver. And we have Diggs, who's very good at that. And we have Shakir. And we just have more physical receivers than Hardy on our roster. But I like having a guy for his size that's surprisingly very good at contested catch situations go down and fight for that football. On top of that, Hardy is a fantastic returner if needed. If for some reason Naeem Hines gets injured or they bench Naeem Hines, which I wouldn't agree with for some reason, he's like a top five, top three probably um, kick and punt return in the league. But say you put, maybe you split the duties with these two guys. Personally, that's what I would do because I don't want them to get injured. And like, because these two guys look to have pretty sizable roles on offense, so they can offset each other. You can do Naheem Hines as kick returner, um, Deontay Hardy as punt returner, or so on and so forth. Flip them. But fun fact: Deontay Hardy has fourteen. He played at D two Division two Assumption College. So look it up. I don't even know where it is. But D two Assumption College fourteen. Punt return touchdowns. That is the most, not just for D2 or D1, most combined. Most in college football history ever over a player span of a player's career in college football. For any division, 1, 2, or 3, or uh, FCS, JUCO, junior college, community college, whatever. 14, and that, I mean, that's just explosive. So maybe you do split up the duties between Naeem Hines and Deontay Hardy with kick and punt, or punt and kick, however you want to say it. Um, and then Leslie Hardy is very sure and strong hands. Again, he runs good, crisp routes. He's not as good of a route runner as Diggs. Diggs is like a top three route runner and route technician, if you will, in the league. But, I mean, Deontay Hardy's as sure as it comes. And you can see the contested catch. Again, 75% catch rate or, or hit rate, if you will, on contested catches. Three or four in those in his career. When given opportunity, he can blossom, and then his hands are really effective. He doesn't drop much. He has, like, around a 5% drop rate in his career, which is amazing because this past year, Gabe Davis had, like, a 12% drop rate, which is pretty terrible. Dustin Knox had a 9% drop rate still. 
He's up there. It's gotten better, but he's still up there. It's just refreshing to know that you have a sure-handed receiver because we had quite a bit of drops this year. I know on sites like PFF, PFN, which is Pro Football Network, if you didn't know. PFF, PFN, some of those next-gen stats sites, it didn't show that the guys had official drops, but watching it with my own eyes, we had a lot of drops. So it's nice to have a guy that has sure hands, and the receiver that we'll talk about next also has very good hands. Now, the negatives or concerns or hesitations I have with Hardy, I alluded to this quite a bit. He's tiny. Like, I don't, like, I, I'm sorry to be rude to the guy, but this is going to come up a bunch. He's not just small. Deontay Hardy is tiny for a receiver. He's 5'6", five, 5'6", six, five, six, 170. I'm even taller than him. I'm 5'8", that's kind of short too, but, like, Deontay Hardy's 5'6", 170. He does, and because of that size, I mean, it's expected, but he lacks physicality due to size. We have, I feel like we have a good mix of skill sets on their roster. We have the physical guy in Gabe Davis, the route technician do everything in Stefan Diggs, and then we, we have the little speedy guy who's an Isaiah McKenzie type, maybe a bit offers a bit more in the return game and everything else in Deontay Hardy. And then we have kind of a tweener in the middle, right at six foot with Khalil Shakir and then Cole Beasley, John Brown last year, who are good steady veterans. But I'm talking about right now, he's just small. Again, 5'6", 170. He's pretty frail. And he lacks physicality again due to that. But Deontay Hardy's ideal role for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I want him to slide in perfectly as a our wide receiver four slash part-time slot. The reason I say part-time slot is because I want Khalil Shakir to be the main, main slot guy and then sprinkle in Deontay Hardy here and there. That will depend on how much you use him on the return game, injury risk and all that. But say our top three receivers are in order like Diggs, Davis, for now without looking at the trade market because we'll get into that later on towards the end of the episode. But Diggs, Gabe Davis... Khalil Shagir in the slot, and then mixing in Deontay Hardy and, and even less, though. But this other next receiver we'll talk about in a minute. I think in the slot you can do like a 70-30 split. So 70% of snaps go to Khalil Shakir in the slot, 30% of Deontay Hardy in the slot. I know it says he can play outside. He's pretty good at it from what I've read and heard and watched. But at 5'6", 170, I don't know how much you can utilize that. Um. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie's pretty short, but I, even Isaiah McKenzie was a couple inches taller than that. He was like 5'8". He was small. If you think Isaiah McKenzie was small, Deontay Hardy's frail and tiny again. 5'6", 170. I don't mean to beat the dead horse here. Whatever that saying is. I don't mean to beat the dead horse here, but uh, yeah, I don't... Maybe you have... I perfectly, in a perfect world, Diggs, Davis, Shakir, slash um, Hardy in the slot. 70-30 split, if you will. Um, I'm really liking the idea. And then this other receiver I kept alluding to, I'm kind of excited for this one, honestly. Um, wide receiver Trent Shurfield. It's only a one-year deal worth $1.77 million. Average, obviously, it's one year. It's pretty simple math. $1.77. Uh, the positives with um, Trent Shurfield, he's an elite special teamer. And, like, I mean elite he was undrafted in 2018, and he's got a great worth that work, oh, great work ethic. Sorry about that. Great work ethic, and um, he never gives up. I feel like because he was undrafted in 2018, and usually those players make a training gap or get caught or some mixture of practice squads, active roster, practice. He's never been on a practice squad in his five-year career. 18 in his five-year career. Um, in as an undrafted free agent, because 
first three his first three years in the league, where did he start his career? I don't remember where he started, but I know he spent 2021 because I don't know where he spent 18, 19, and 20, but I know he spent 2021 with the San Francisco 49ers with Debo and Ayuk, so he didn't get to play a lot and and um. Kittle, because McCaffrey wasn't there yet. And then 2022 with Terry Kittle and Jane Lomato, you thought Cedric Wilson was going to be the third wide receiver on that depth chart, and in terms of production as well, but it was Trent Sherfield. Sprinkled in, very good. When they weren't, Tua wasn't looking, or Teddy Bridgewater, Skyler Thompson, whatever mixture, they were looking towards um, Sherfield, if not. If not, um, Mike Gesicki was totally irrelevant, pretty much. But if not, Waddle and Hill is my main point. But he's an elite special teamer, all four phases. And I'll give you a refresher or a first-time recap if you're not sure. Four-phase special teamer means for your team, obviously, for your respective team, kickoffs, punts, kick returns, and punt returns. So all four phases. So, again, that's kickoffs, punts, Kick returns, punt return. He's elite at all of them. A gunner, and he's an elite gunner or an elite um, kick coverage. Not not gunner, elite um, main kick coverage guy, main reinforcement. But if he's going to be an elite gunner for this team, you really have to bring in the question. I don't think they're bringing Tyron Jones back. He's probably retiring even more now. And you really have to bring in the question. Does this mean they'll cut Saran Neal for, I believe they can save around $2 million if they cut Saran Neal and cap? Personally, I would do that. I feel like we have enough corner depth now with re-signing Dane Jackson, Kyrie Elam, Trey White, obviously, Taron Johnson, Cam Lewis, who's a tweener between corner and safety. We re-signed, by the way, Christian Benford, who I hope maybe will move to safety, according to McDermott, and be in the soft season. Cross-training, though, that like having cross-trainings. And obviously, DeMar Hamlin trending in the right direction, which, by the way, that's amazing. Apparently, he's trending in the right direction for doctors and him and being and McDermott have talked. And the new defensive coordinator, whoever it will be, play caller, he's going to play football again. Not confirmed, but it's trending towards that way. That's awesome. Way to go, Demar Hamlin. And then I feel like we don't need Saran Neal anymore. And if this guy's an elite gunner, an elite four-face special teamer, he could just replace Saran Neal and offer more in the offense because Saran Neal's a pretty bad defender. So I feel like Trent Sherfield can be an elite, amazing gunner for this team, which Saran Neal did for the last three or four years in Buffalo. And then he can offer more for his specific that Sherfield that is for his specific position group, if you will. So I would cut Terran Neal because he's an elite special teamer, Sherfield. Uh, Sherfield has tons of speed, just like Deontay Hardy. We need speed on this team because we don't really have anyone that's like a burner, like you can't catch me. Like, for an example, I would be totally behind this move. Because, by the way, these two additions, <clears throat> excuse me, these two additions of Hardy and Sherfield don't really take out, for me at least, at all really, the possibility. I mean, maybe it's a tad less likely now, but the possibility of drafting like a Jalen Hyatt or if Jackson Smith and Jigba stops, stops, starts, excuse me, starts dropping like past 15 or so, you got to go up and make that move. And we'll get talk about that later on. But maybe like Jalen Hyatt, who's a burner. We don't really have that burner. It's like, you can't catch me. Um... You can't catch me. I'll see see you later. Peace, whatever you want to say. Gabe Davis, very limited player, but physical. Stefan Diggs, um, Stefan Diggs, 
Um, excuse me, what was my point? Stefan Diggs, good route, elite route technician, if you will. And then Khalil Shakir, kind of that tweener, not the fastest guy, but not the slowest guy either. Good, above average speed, but nobody near Hardy or Sherfield. I think Hardy has more speed, but Sherfield still has tons of speed. And because of that, he has great yak ability. Again, yards after catch ability. 32nd for the Bills were 32nd in 2022. This past season, that was in yards after catch. And then 32, what do you know, 32 again the year before in 2021. So that's got to improve. And Hardy and Sherfield will definitely help that. And then um, Sherfield also along with Hardy, just like Hardy, excuse me, he has very sure and strong hands because of his good size, which he is 6'1", 206. That is right around, maybe a little lighter and thinner than Gabe Davis, but right around the same ballpark as Gabe Davis. Obviously, he doesn't offer as much as Gabe Davis. Say we want about Gabe Davis, but he doesn't offer as much as Gabe Davis. Uh, Sherfield has great contact balance. He's tough to bring down is what I wrote in the parentheses here on my Google Doc here. He's tough to bring down. I mean, there was this one play against Cleveland, against the Browns, um, where he caught it like five yards or whatever. And then he was running and he bounced off one guy and then bounced off two guys. It wasn't separately either. Two guys were coming at him at once. Two Browns defenders. I'm, I forget who the defenders were. Two Browns defenders. And he just like bounced off them and like trucked through them. And yeah, and then they brought him down. But I mean, you won't bring this guy down. Like it's very hard from what I've seen and heard to watch. Uh, and then mainly last point here, I added this late, but he's a better version of Jake Kumaro. I think it's highly unlikely that we re-sign Jay Kuro at this point. I know he keeps sticking around for his elite four-phase special team ability. Again, refresher, kick, four-phase, or kickoff, punt, punt, kickoff, punt, kick return, punt return. Jay Kuro has been an elite for that last three years. He beat out Isaiah Hodgins because of that, which I didn't really agree with it. But Sherfield is a better version of Jake Kumro on special teams at this point because Sherfield's 27 and Kumro's 31. And then Sherfield offers way more on offense than Jake Kumro does. I know Jake Kumro's big and physical, but you have Gabe Davis for that. And now you have Trent Sherfield for that as well. So um, Trent Sherfield's a better special teamer than Kumro and a better more offers more on offense and more skill set than Jake Kumro, if you will. So he's a better version of Jake Kumro. So I personally wouldn't bring back Jake Kumro because you don't want duplicate skill sets, Brandon Bean said, if that's why you cut Isaiah McKenzie for Deontay Hardy. Um, so, yeah. But his ideal role, to me, again, in a perfect world, no injuries. I want Trent Sherfield to serve as our wide receiver five, that last wide receiver active on game day, and a four-phase special teamer. I don't need to go over it again, the four phases. I just explained it a few times. Or look it up if you want more detail. I hope it's efficient enough. But our wide receiver five and four phase special teamer because the four wide receivers with Diggs, Davis, Shakir, Hardy, and then Sherfield, and then probably Ross and someone else, maybe someone, a draft pick or someone on the practice squad right now, like Desmond Patton, Keyshawn Johnson, that could be intriguing young guys. But yeah, I see Sherfield. Fitting in this, he is a wide receiver five and a four-phase special teamer. Is that wide is that last wide receiver active on game days? An elite gunner cuts the rail new because of it. Don't bring back Jay Coomer because of it. Uh, and maybe sprinkling in like 10 to 15 snaps on offense and then every snap on special teams. So that's how I see it. And then run. This came in late the other um earlier this week, one of these nights. Can't remember. It's all jumbled because of free agency. Uh, running back Damian Harris from the Pages. Um, this is amazing to get a division round. I've been a fan of Harris, by the way. It's a one-year, $1.77 million deal. 
So obviously 1.77 average, not much to calculate there or compute there, if you will. Exact same deal as Trent Sherfield, which I like these low cost, low risk, high reward, low risk, high reward deals, excuse me, if you will, low risk, high reward. So the positives of Damian Harris, he's a very, and I don't mean this lightly, he, ha- he contains, he brings a very different skill set to this offense than James Cook and from James Cook and Naheem Hines. James Cook is that flashy, elusive, light on his feet, elite receiving option out of the backfield. He has unlocked it because of Condorcy. You know how I feel about Condorcy, but that's what James Cook is. Naheem Hines, the elite turner, two kickoffs in one game. Similar style to James Cook, but just more experienced. And then Damon Harris is not that at all because he physical. He's a physical downhill runner, Damian Harris, and which leads into my um, next point. Um, he can take pressure off of Josh Allen in goal line and short yardage situations. Now, I was thinking of that for, like, Reggie Gilliam, but for some reason, I like Gilliam. He's like a human bowling ball. He's been described by players such as Greg Rousseau and Matt Milano in training camp last year before the 2022 season, excuse me. So, but they don't want to use him, but they bring in Damian Harris, and then, because they have Cook, Aim Hines, which is one set of skill set, and then they have Damian Harris, which is a totally different skill set. So, it can take pressure off of Josh Allen, um, minus the workload for Josh Allen, minus Josh Allen's tendency, decrease Josh Allen's pressure to play hero ball, decrease Josh Allen's tendency to put the team on his shoulders. It will open up the passing game because Josh Allen won't have to do as much work on the ground. Don't get me wrong, still have design read option plays for Josh Allen or scramble plays, but maybe not in short yards because you have Damian Harris now. And Harris has lots of production in his NFL career. He had 929 yards and 15 touchdowns in 2021. That's amazing. That's an RB1 output. Now, he just got replaced by Ramondre Stevenson breaking out uh, last year, who at this point, I, I think the ceiling's the, um, f- uh, the ceiling's the limit for that guy, like limitless potential, but yeah. And now here, I don't want to say negatives because there's nothing really negative about bringing this low cost, but these are just some reservations and concerns and hesitations, if you will, I have about bringing in Damian Harris to this offense and the fit. He's talented enough to be RB1 because I don't really – I love James Cook. I want him to be RB1 this next season, but I don't want there to be a training of controversy between who's going to be RB1, James Cook or Damian Harris. Damian Harris or James Cook. This guy did great in preseason in this game. This guy did great in preseason in this game. This guy's turning heads in trinkets. I want it clear to be James Cook and then have Damian Harris um, come in on those goal line or short yardage carries. Get those quick bursts, if you will. And then secondly and lastly for uh, concerns and negatives, this complicates Naheem's role quite a bit on offense even more. If Ken Dorsey has to use him last year with Devin Singletary and James Cook splitting starter reps as the year went on, who says he won't do it again with James Cook and Damien, and uh, excuse me, James Cook and Damon Harris and then Naheem Hines be like the third wheel, if you will. I hope that's not the case, but it's a legit concern I have right now. But my ideal role for Naheem Hines, depending on how things shake out, James Cook, in my mind, is clearly RB1. Depending how things shake out, Damian Harris's ideal role would be our, our RB2 and RB3 for this Bills team used for certain situations to take pressure and heat off Josh. And those certain situations would be goal line and short yardage and punch it up the middle to get those touchdowns. So RB2 and 3 for those certain situations. Next, um, 
This is kind of small, but it was important because on the first day of free agency, Case Keenum left for the Texans. So we went ar- turned around and signed um, a couple days later QB Kyle Allen. Again, one year, $1.23 million to serve as our backup. The positives, he was one of the best backup Q- quarterbacks on the market this year. Jacoby Brissett was at the top of the line, but he was in that group, that glom of guys with like Sam Darnold and then obviously Kyle Allen himself. We already mentioned Jacoby Brissett, um, Case Keenum, Mike White, who's kind of middling, but whatever. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is still a high-end backup out there, by the way. But I love this because Kyle Allen, here he's very good friends with Josh Allen, so there's already an established relationship there, so they won't have any issues in the QB rooms. No, they're both young. They both came out the same year. That's how they became friends. I'll give you a little background little history lesson on around the slice, if you will. They both came out of the draft in 2018. Kyle Allen played. He first, I believe, committed to Texas A&M, then a couple years after that, played a couple years there, and then transferred to Houston, excuse me. And then coming out of 2018, they all started training in California. It was Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and Kyle Allen, I believe, training with personal QB coach Jordan Palmer, and they just started becoming really good friends, those three, with going back to the same location in California near where Josh Allen grew up in Fireball and the little ranch farm thing there. So, um, town there in Fireball, California. So that's how they became very good friends. So there's a great relationship there, history there already. And um, Kyle Allen, believe it or not, he actually has a pretty good amount of game experience in the NFL. He was... He bounced around, I believe, early in his career. was like on the... No, Texans was this past year. I mainly remember him in the Panthers when Cam Newton got injured. He, they were, like, going between, like, Taylor Heineke after he came off his... Uh, state in the AAF, now debunked league, American... Um, what was it? American... Whatever. Doesn't matter. The AAF. <laughs> debunked after less than a year. So, Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, when Cam got... And Cam wasn't Cam anymore. Cam Newton... Kyle Allen was actually pretty good. He went, what was it, like 6-7 and seven as a starter? That's respectable. So he actually has quite a bit of game experience, believe it or not. And obviously, I never wish anything on Josh Allen. I mean, come on, he's the star of the franchise. He's about to turn 27 years old in May in a couple months. We can't have him getting hurt. But Kyle Allen can start in a pinch if needed. If needed. Um... For instance, Josh Allen's elbow got nicked up quite a bit. I firmly believe whether he likes to admit it or not, he doesn't get, like to give an excuse. But in my opinion, it's not an excuse. Like it clearly affected. He sprained his UC joint, and that's UCL joint or UC whatever it is. Um, I'm not a doctor, so sorry. But uh, yeah, I don't know all the terminology. But Kyle Allen can start in an absolute pinch. I do roll. I mean, this is pretty straightforward. QB two. I mean, some fans are saying, well, what if there's a battle to back up QB two behind Josh Allen between Matt Barkley and Kyle Allen? Stop. We brought Kyle Allen, very good friends with Josh Allen. Josh Allen's going to be pounding the table for him. I mean, I'm sure Josh Allen wanted this guy, even though Kyle Allen said he kind of recruited himself to Buffalo. But there's no competition. Matt Berkeley will always be your... Josh Allen will be the starter. QB run, face the franchise. Kyle Allen will now be QB2, back up just like Case Keenum was last year. And Matt Barkley will be the practice squad guy once again, assumably, or whoever else. But probably Matt Barkley. I'm going to bank on it right now, just like last year, so... There's no guard, no guard, no battle for backup quarterback. So, ideal role, ideally, not ideally. Kyle Allen is going to be our QB two for his ideal role. Uh, lastly, seventh. So I said we had seven guys, and here's our seventh guy that the Bills brought in. This was the other day. I love this. 
Now, I don't have contract numbers yet because I'm sorry. I probably could have looked into it deeper, but on a surface level, I wanted to get this out for you guys, and I apologize. I do not have contract details yet. But guard David Edwards from the Rams. Positives. I really like his positives here. He are, he's already very familiar with our offensive line coach, Aaron Cromer, because they were together with Rams, with the Los Angeles Rams, excuse me, for a couple of years to start um, Edwards's David Edwards's career. So that's nice. And then, so Cromer you, knows how to put him in certain spots, what guard spot to play him, what technique, how athletic he is. And Cromer and the Bills and McDermott love athletic linemen. They all have an adjusted RES score, which is raw athletic score. Which Spencer Brown has a 10 flex score. Mitch Morris is like in the 8s. Dan Dawkins is in the 9s, I believe. And Roger Saffold was in like the 6s or 7s last year. But they they love athletic linemen that can pull their own weight, if you will. So, yeah. And then Edwards can provide great depth on offensive line at the very least. And that leads me to my last, next, my last, excuse me, my last main positive for Edwards. He pro- Edwards provides good competition for Ryan Bates and or Connor McGovern which will make everyone involved better by nature. Competition is the best way to grow, it's been said in the NFL. So you have two guard spots available, because Roger Saffold ain't coming back. Yeah, like, he might as well tell you that, dude. Anyway, two guard spots available. Left guard, right guard, because Mitch Moore's center. Spencer Brown, they still believe in him. I have my doubts, but they still believe in him at right tackle. And then Deion Dawkins, left tackle. Um... So I'm sure Dan Dawkins had because he can finally have a starting quality left guard next to him because he had that so inconsistent like Cordy Glenn, uh, Russell Bodine, Marshall Newhouse, they Cody Ford, uh, um, most recently Roger Saffold, obviously who was awful all slate again, but uh, two guard spots left guard and right guard, Connor McGovern as we talked about just at the top of the show. And then Ryan Bates, and now David Edwards. But ideally, and I, oh no, wait, sorry. So that will make everyone better. So I was getting ahead of myself. We'll get to ideal role lastly in a minute. But negatives or concerns, I'm really concerned about this. He doesn't have a ton of starting experience in the NFL. He's good under Cromer. Cromer knows how to get the best out of him. I'm just not sure that he's better than a key backup at the NFL. And that's what he's been most of his career, except pinch in a pinch starts if needed. And then. Edward, David Edwards has, unfortunately, a long history of concussions over his football career. I was going to put NFL career, but then I looked into it. I don't remember where he played college. I just know his concussions dated all the way back to college. But maybe he can, like, piggyback, get some notes, if you will, from Mitch Morse. Because Mitch Morse, has, he dealt with, like, a concussion, a couple of concussions last year, I believe. Yeah, in 2022, at least one, if memory serves if I remember correctly. But all the way back to college, Mitch Morris has the same issues. He's had like nine concussions in his career, but he's a soldier. So very durable um, outside of that. So maybe Edwards can pick his brain, if you will. I hope he does, honestly. But my ideal role for Edwards, like I said, I don't know if he's starting level. And that's exactly what I'm going to have him here. Key backup at guard. My ideal offensive line, before we get into the Bills' remaining needs, my ideal offensive line is as follows. Going from left to, uh, Going from left to right, Left tackle, Deion Dawkins. Left guard, Ryan Bates. As he said, that's where he's most comfortable numerous times. He's mentioned that. Center, Mitch Morris. Right guard, um, new addition, Connor McGovern, who I can blossom there. And then right tackle, Spencer Brown. So those are my five across the line. And then your key backups, maybe like swing tackle off the bench, Tommy Doyle. Key backup at guard, 
um, David Edwards and then fill out those guys with like mid to late on draft picks. Fill out the depth, excuse me, mid to late on draft picks, which can't wait for the draft talk, by the way, on this podcast. And then David Questenberry can be a tackle or guard. But yeah, this offense line has really taken shape and I'm really proud of it, the way Brandon B has navigated it as a Diode Bills fan. So now the Bills do have um, some top remaining needs. So obviously they fixed wide receiver for now, but I. Not this doesn't take us out of the draft need at wide receiver at all, in my opinion. They fixed offensive line pretty clearly with McGovern resigning Questenberry, bringing David, bringing in David Edwards, Tommy Doyle coming back from injury, looking to improve a lot, at least to me. Um, so here are five remaining needs. Obviously, safety no more need anymore because you brought back Jordan Poyer. So here are five remaining needs in order. My biggest remaining need for the Bills is linebacker. I know Brandon Bean said. After the first wave of free agency wrapped up about, he said last late last week that um, sometimes there is desperate replacement Tremaine Edmonds, something to that effect. And he said sometimes the best guy to to be a replacement plan, not word for word again, something to this effect, best guy to be a replacement plan is on your roster already. I don't know about you guys, but that really scares and concerns me. He mentioned a competition, some sort of competition between Tyrell Dotson, Terrell Bernard, Balen Spector. If we would go that route, I would guess it's Tyrell Dotson. Terrell Bernard is just too small and slow. He looks like a safety to me. Balen Spector was a seventh-round draft pick. I mean, what do you expect? Um, so, yeah, um, I would go Tyrell Dotson, but I would still, in that case, still sign a veteran. So I got a few names here at linebacker. Obviously, Zach Cunningham. Recent released by the Tennessee Titans a few weeks ago before free agency to create cast space. He's still got a lot left, I feel like, for a veteran. Bobby Wagner, 33 years old, still got a lot left. Miles Jack, I don't know how appealing that is at this point. And Anthony Barr. So I'm going to take out Anthony Barr, Miles Jack, because that's whatever. If we can't get Bobby Wagner, which I'm not going to say highly unlikely at this point, but like uh, his Twitter ban out, I don't know if it is anymore, but in the beginning when he got officially caught on March 15th, this start of the new league year his twitter banner you know you have your bio and then your profile picture if you're familiar with twitter which i am very um a plug at the end but um his twitter banner uh, if you will was the seattle skyline so i mean he's i'm pretty sure he's going back to the seahawks at this point but never say never and then that leave us zach Huntington. zach Huntington. zach cunningham but honestly i would be very fine with i'm good with terrell bernard being a our main backup third linebacker off the bench behind Milano and Cunningham, but not starting. So that's what I think at linebacker. And then linebacker is a pretty obvious need. I think it's a pretty obvious number one because I'm concerned if we're going to have that competition with those guys already on the ros- our roster. Number two, need, in my opinion, remaining defensive end. So I got quite a bit of names. There's quite quite a bit of relatively big names left. Bud Dupree, who visited the Steelers today, by the way. That was according to Jeremy Fowler. Thank you for that, Jeremy Fowler, VSPN. But, yeah, Bud Dupree, who was amazing in the Steelers, had a lot of injuries in the Titans. But I would give on that. Uh, yeah. Now, these next two, three I would, like, really, really love. Yannick Ngakwe, um, pre- most recent team last year, the Colts. Melvin Ingram, Dolphins, he he terrorizes us every time. And week three, he was in Josh Allen's face every two freaking seconds. And then Justin Houston, he's 34 years old, I believe. Yeah, 34. But everywhere he goes, this guy just produces. He's a not a difference maker, but he produces. And then Jason Pierre-Paul. And then lastly, Daryl Johnson. You might recognize this name. It was all the way back. In t- they drafted him in 2019, like the sixth round. He lasted one year, then was 
cut with the 53 roster cut down thing for the 2020 season. And he went to the Panthers. He had some injuries. They call him Bam Johnson. So Daryl Bam Johnson, whatever you want to call it, Daryl Johnson can come back first. But I'm mainly looking at Nick Ngakwe, Melvin Ingram, and Justin Houston. I feel like we need a veteran to push these young guys. Greg Rousseau is just fine. His trajectory is just fine. But I don't like that if we have Greg Rousseau and then the other deep starting defensive end is A.J. Epineza. Or, because you assume Von Miller from the Trey White saga thing, injury from that timeline, Von Miller missed at least half the season, most likely, just like Trey White did, maybe a little more. So I don't like that Greg was on one side, that's fine. But then the other side, right or left, AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham, especially Boogie Basham, he hasn't developed at all, really, in two years. So I want to get a veteran to lead those guys to get the most out of those guys. I think it's really good once you have Von Miller... Greg Rousseau and then, like, a Yannick Ngakwe on Melvin and Justin Houston starting to start the year. But when Van Miller comes back, you have Greg Rousseau and Van Miller starting. Your key rotational guy, either in that one of those veterans I just mentioned, again, Ingram, Ngakwe, Justin Houston. And then, as your defensive end four, Boogie Basham and AJ Epineza, and then the fifth one could be inactive most games. But that's how I see it playing out. Or that's how I want to play out, excuse me. And then third biggest name... This is a tough one between this and the next scene, but I moved it up. Defensive tackle. There's really only two guys that, I mean, the market's really dry at defensive tackle as it is going into free agency. Um, but because Fletcher Cox resigned the Eagles, Javon Hargrave went to the 49ers to play at that monster of a front. But defensive tackle, Puna Ford, most recently last year with the Seahawks, Clayus Campbell, who got cut by the Ravens. I think he's going to go to back to the Ravens or to Atlanta play with Grady Jarrett because he visited there earlier this week. So that's out of the question. I would absolutely love Puna Ford to be like our defensive tackle 3-4 because you have, for now, again, assuming no trades, which I hope that's not the case, but assuming Oliver's on the roster for now, which he is, as it stands, you have DT1 at Oliver, defensive tackle 2, Daquan Jones, and then defensive tackle 3-4, a combination of Coming off the bench in rotational, Tim Settle and Puna Ford. I think Puna Ford's better than Tim Settle. He offers a bit more in the run game. I really, really like Puna Ford for this team. I would fall in love with that immediately. Four tackle. This is the one I was debating on. I feel like defensive tackle is a bit more need than uh, normal tackle on the offensive line, if you will. But uh, two guys stand out to me here. Again, not much left. But Donovan Smith, who he's a veteran, but he's still only 29 years old. He's not one of those older veterans, really old veterans like Bobby Wagner, who's 33 are going to be 33, yes, basically 33. Donovan Smith cut by the Buccaneers because they saved $8 million and it's all good and great. But I hope, and then Brandon Shallows, kind of a younger player from the Dolphins. I really want to bring in Donovan Smith Um, if he can't start, if anything, a veteran to push Spencer Brown because I have my reservations about him still, man. So, yeah. And then lastly, tight end. This is, the other four needs are pretty big tight ends. I still think it's somewhat of a need because I, I said it before on this podcast and just in conversations with family members, friends, and so forth. So on and so forth, excuse me. I like Dawson Knox, blossoming players still. Like already top five in Bills touched. How sad is that the Bills haven't had many good elite tight ends? Not even close to elite. Top five in Bills touchdown history. What am I trying to say? Top five most receiving touchdowns by a tight end in Bills franchise history. There it is. But I don't like that we're once... Tommy Sweeney, by the way, left to the Giants yesterday. Yeah, whatever. Um, but I don't like that we're one snap away, one freak injury away to Dawson Knox from starting Quentin Morris. Ideally, Quentin Morris is a tight end three. TE3 on the team. 
Your third tight end on the depth chart, excuse me. So I got um, some tight ends, four tight ends here. Cameron Brait, last year, most recently with the Buccaneers, who they cut. Dan Arnold, Jaguars, Ersmith Jr., young player, but hasn't really developed, full of injuries from out of Alabama and the Vikings most recently last year. Because now they have T.J. Hawkinson, so they're not bringing him back. And they signed Josh Oliver, who's a very elite blocking tight end. And then Drew Sample from the Bengals, who's had his good share of injuries, too. I'm looking at Cameron Bray. I want a veteran. For a lot of these positions, for basically all of these positions, I want a veteran. So, again, I'm just going to go down my preference. For linebacker, I want Zach Cunningham. Well, obviously, I want Bobby Wagner. But realistically, I want Zach Cunningham. For defensive end, I want Yannick Ngakwe, Melvin Ingram, or Justin Houston. One of those veterans. To push the young guys in Boogie and AJ Epinesa until Von Miller goes back. Defensive tackle, I want Puna Ford as our defense tackle three or four. Tackle on the offense line, I want Donovan Smith. Ideally, to push Spencer Brown or start whatever role. Tight end, I'm looking at Cameron Bray. So, now, before we end this podcast quickly, because we're approaching an hour. I don't like to go over an hour. I did for free agency. But for this, these are just some Bills rumors. Um, so the Bills, the Bills are in on wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. Now, I gotta, I have this picture on my phone. He's since deleted it, so don't try to go on Instagram and look at it. I mean, you can if you want, but you'll see a different story. On, um, on DeAndre Hopkins' Instagram story, he said, he, like, put up song lyrics. It was him. It was him in his little Lamborghini, in his Lamborghini or whatever, with his hair tied up in dreads because it was a song about like dreadlocks or something. As we know, the opposite is dreadlocks. So he was saying, said he was a Buffalo soldier, blah, blah, blah. Last line as well, said he was a Buffalo soldier. So he said that twice. Not he said that. He had the song saying that twice in line. Said he was a Buffalo soldier. So I think he wants to come to Buffalo. Apparently the Bills are in on it. And because of that, the OBJ chatter has really slowed down. OBJ's asking price is apparently 15 to 20 million. At least 15. Uh, I'm not in. Two ACL injuries, two years in a row with the Browns in 2020. And then it... In 2021, at the end of that season, obviously, they still won the Super Bowl, but he tore his ACL in that Super Bowl. You can say it because of the field or not that year, but yeah, he still did. And then Ed Oliver on the move, you would think to get DeAndre Hopkins, Cardinals would fall in love with Ed Oliver and want Ed Oliver. Because um, he posted a lot of Instagram stories in the offseason. He posted on the Instagram, his Instagram story the other day, um, he posted lyrics that were like to the effect of started with falling fallen out of love with me. Like, have you fallen out of love with me? Meaning as the Bills brass and front office and coaches fallen out of love with Ed Oliver and the fan base. And then it was him sacking um sacking Jared Goff, sacking Aaron Rodgers, sacking Kirk Cousins, no theme. Those are all NFC North teams, Lions, Packers, Vikings, obviously. So does he want to go to the Bears with Tremaine Edmonds? I don't know, but, like, obviously the Cardinals would... I'm pretty sure the Cardinals would want him in a trade. And then lastly, before we end this podcast, we're going to talk about this Chris Trapasso trade proposal. It's pretty crazy, but very realistic, in my opinion. I would do it for the Bills if I were the Bills in a heartbeat. If I were Brandon Bean, I would say, where do I sign up? Where do I, <laughs> where do I approve? Send it in the league office right away. He, um, Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports, great work on the draft, but he said the other day, just an idea, don't lose your minds, and I do still think it's more sensible for Buffalo to just draft a receiver early 
early-ish, which I do too, but in this, I would take this over anything. He said, but Bills get, listen to this closely, the Bills get DeAndre Hopkins and linebacker Isaiah Simmons, who just isn't used properly at all, along with Zayvon Collins in Arizona. They have no clue how to use their linebackers over there. So Bills get DeAndre Hopkins and Isaiah Simmons. We can fix our wide receiver two issues in one trade. It's, um, wide receiver two issues and linebacker issues in one trade and concerns. And Cardinals get Ed Oliver, Gabriel, Gabriel Dave, Ed Oliver, Gabe Davis, and a fi- fifth round pick this year. Where do I sign up? I would do this in a heartbeat. So again, I'll re- reiterate, excuse me, Bills get wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins and linebacker Isaiah Simmons. In return, the Cardinals get defensive tackle Ed Oliver, wide receiver Gabe Davis, and a fifth round pick. I'm doing it. And then if we get Hopkins, that probably um, that probably takes us. Oh, sorry. Whoa. Sorry, I'm just looking at something. Alabama lost to San Diego State, and they move in Elite Eight. Okay. There's only one, one seed left, Houston. I think they might lose, too. Whatever. It's a football podcast, but I love March Madness, too, so I'm just talking about that. Anyway, guys, um, thank you for listening to this podcast. We talked about who the Bills brought in. Um, oh, I never mentioned this. I never put this down. That's why the Bills overall grade for the offseason, I'm going to give them a solid B. I was at like a C plus last week, but nothing since they brought in good reinforcers on the offensive line, brought in Hardy and Sherfield for speed and special teams help. Amazing return as well, assurance, all that positive negatives. I'm going to give them a B. They still have work to do from those needs I said, but yeah, and maybe the trade market, like I'm saying down here. So yeah. Anyways, guys, I'm going to promote my Twitters real quick. Um, my personal Twitter at a Weingartner 13 podcast, Twitter, obviously at around slice. Tweet any thoughts you have on these guys and anything else you have questions for. One of these days, if I get enough questions, I'm hoping to do a Q&A. Next week, I'm looking, I'm thinking, tentatively right now, we do a, our monthly mock draft, 3.0, which will be three rounds for the NFL draft. Anyways, guys, this has been this week's episode of Around the Slice. I'm your host, Aiden, and I will see you on next week's episode. Bye.